Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Uh, For the last uh, chapter and for about the last month and a half or so, we have seen various groups of religious leaders who have come to question Jesus. Uh, Beginning in Mark 11, actually, it was the chief priests and scribes and elders, kind of the big guns. And then we saw the Pharisees and the Herodians, those two former enemies, come to unite to try to attack Christ and trap him in a question. Um, Then we saw the Sadducees last week. And in our passage this morning here, Mark 12, 28 to 37, there's a final question for Jesus by one, just one, of the scribes. According to Matthew's account, he was a Pharisee. And this single individual comes to Jesus uh, in a different way with a very uh, much less antagonistic and more seemingly genuine interest in Jesus and what he has to say. Uh, Jesus answers his question, and I believe uh, sensing his seeking, honest heart, Jesus also gives him a question as well. And in doing so, Christ teaches him, and he teaches you and I this morning, that close doesn't count. Close doesn't count when entering the kingdom of heaven, when entering Christ's kingdom is at stake. Mark 12, let's begin in verse 28, and we'll read to verse 37. It says, And one of the scribes came... And having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment that is greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself, it is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices." And Jesus, when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David, therefore himself, calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Before we study this, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. God, we do ask you are present here, and we ask that your Holy Spirit's presence would illuminate the truth of your word here this morning. Very important things that Jesus teaches us here, Father. Um, 
what is the most important to you in how we worship you and how we live out our faith. Even, even more importantly, how we begin a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's one who will be here this service or next or who will be watching on our live stream who has never trusted in you as Savior, I pray that this would be the day that they submit, that they yield, that they embrace you, that they, that they receive Christ as Savior. For us who have, Lord, I pray that uh, that faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for us would give us the power to live out this first and second commandment, the most important ones, loving you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our might, and loving each other as we love ourselves. Help us to do that. I pray that we would respond to your word in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a question for Jesus here in verses 28 to 34. Let's look at the request. It begins in verse 28. I'm looking forward to, honestly, the upcoming passages that we're going to uh, look at in the next couple of weeks. Um, they begin here at the end of chapter 12 and carry on into 13. It's a rare thing in Mark's gospel, what we'll see in the upcoming weeks. Uh, got a really significant record of the teachings of Jesus. Now, there's been teachings of Jesus and his miracles. There's been teachings of Jesus here in these question and answers that we've looked at the last few weeks. But we got one last interaction here to study between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. So far, all those who have come to question Christ that I mentioned in the introduction, they have had as their motivation uh, a desire to trick Jesus or to trap him in making some political statement or doctrinal statement that they could use to accuse him or discredit his ministry. But not so with this, with this guy here that we're going to look at today. Not so with this uh, lone scribe who comes to ask Jesus a question. Verse 28 introduces us to this person. He's simply described as a scribe who had heard the previous questions to Jesus and the answers of Jesus. And not only had he heard the responses of Jesus, but according to verse 28, he reasoned that Jesus had answered all of these questions well. Uh, Jesus gave a right response. And that's one of the first indications that we have here, that this scribe was a little bit different than the rest of the religious leaders who had come to question Jesus in the verses prior. Now, they too couldn't help but admit, if they were honest, that Jesus was right in his responses to their trick questions. But in these previous interactions, their response was to also uh, desire to arrest Jesus or even worse. Who are these scribes? The scribes were experts in interpreting uh, God's word. Old Testament, professional interpreters of the Old Testament. They had taken the Old Testament law now, that portion of God's word we find mainly in Exodus to Deuteronomy, and they had identified 613 commandments. Rodney mentioned this in our Bible study earlier this week. 613 commandments. You thought you just had 10, right? They had 613 that they identified. In fact, they, they further divide it. There's 365 negative ones. Thou shalt not. And there's 248 positive ones. Thou shalt. It's a lot. It's a lot of commandments. 613 different ones. And, and these supposed professional interpreters of God's word, they like to further divide those 613 commandments that are in the Mosaic law into weightier laws and uh, lighter ones. 
ones that were more important and you had no choice but to obey, and ones that, well, I guess some discretion was up to you and whether you were going to obey God or not. More important and less important commandments. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, if God said to do something, he said to do something, right? And if he says don't do something, there's not a whole lot of uh, open for discussion. Before we get too rough on them, and we ought to be, but aren't we prone to do the same sometimes? Oh, I'm a gossip. I've never killed anybody. <laughs> uh, I, from time to time, tell a little fib, but I've never been unfaithful to my spouse. And it's not long before we start sounding like one of these religious leaders, one that Jesus mentions in Luke 18, 11. He's standing in the street, supposedly praying, but honestly, just proclaiming in prideful praise, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not a tax collector. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. But God sees sin differently, doesn't he, than we do. He tells us in his word in James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. All. And that really boils it down and makes it concise. And that's the goal of the scribe, but, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, his question to Jesus here at the end of verse 28 is this, which, Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Not first as in first given by God, but as first as in most important. Which one is the weightiest? Well, let's look at the response of Jesus. In verse 29, Jesus gives him and he gives you and I God's view on the matter. That's the one that matters. Jesus masterfully answers this scribe's question by saying the first uh, or the greatest, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now that doesn't sound like much of a commandment, does it? That God is one. Um, But Jesus is answering with a verse that the scribe would know very well, very well. Um, it's found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and it is known as the Shema. It's Hebrew for the very first word here. And it's something that every single religious Jewish person would say, would pray at least twice a day. In fact, most, uh, it's a prayer and a doctrine that, that separated them uh, for, as a people from all the other peoples in the world. Most of them would, would write it on a scroll or have it written on a scroll, put it in a little box known as a mezuzah. They would attach it to the door when they went in the door. They would touch it and say, quote this verse, pray this prayer, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When they leave out of the house, do the same thing. It was something that was constantly drilled into their minds. Very important. They alone were the people who had one God. They alone serve the one true God. In the midst of polytheistic paganism all around them, God's people were reminded of this truth all day, every day. That's why Jesus says it's the first. Now, it's not completely done. That's just the first phrase. What does Jesus continue with? Well, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 6, and Jesus here in verse 30 says, And you shall love the Lord with all, with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, all your might. Well, that, that sounds more like a commandment, right? This one true God, he deserves and he demands our exclusive love. Just him. No, no one else, nothing else. And he deserves that that love be from every part of, of our being, our heart, our soul, our mind, our, our strength, our heart, the, the control center of our, our passions and our desires, our soul, our self-conscious 
life, our mind, our capacity for thought should be directed to him and loving him and our strength, the power that that we have to, to live out this love for God. Jesus says that this is the most important commandment. And I hope you see in the multiplicity of words here that Jesus uses, and it's to emphasize the thoroughness, the the fervency that this most important commandment deserves and demands from us. It's not just giving Jesus one day a week. It's not just giving Jesus five minutes in the morning if, if we got time. No, I love him with all my heart and my soul and my mind and my might. And giving God anything else is close but not enough. It's close, but close doesn't count. Jesus says that this most important commandment, uh, this is the most important, the greatest, number one, because it has to do with our vertical relationship. It has to do with our relationship with God. When we obey it, when we obey this first commandment, it takes care of commandments one through four in the Ten Commandments, the vertical ones, those that have to do with your relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image unto yourself to worship. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If you live out what Jesus just said, have you just taken care of those first four? Without a doubt, you're going to live complete obedience to those first four. If we follow this most important commandment that's given by Jesus here, to, re- to remember that God alone is God, and that we're to love him with all of our being, yeah, we'll take care of those first four Ten Commandments. That's why it's the greatest. So we got that boiled down, we're, we're done? No. Jesus continues on, verse 31. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's no other, greater, no other commandment as greater than the See, if you're successful in living out this first one, the, the greatest one, the most important commandment, if your vertical relationship with God is taken care of and done right, it's also going to affect your horizontal relationships. They're going to fall into place too. If you truly love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and might, you are going to quite naturally live in perfect obedience to God by living in perfect love to those who are around you. In Matthew's account of this same event, Jesus finished his answer with this. On this commandment, these two commandments, hang all of the law and prophets. If you want to live out Genesis to Malachi, you've got to do these two things. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus means, if you obey this first commandment, you take care not only of the one to four of the Ten Commandments, the vertical ones, you're also going to take care of five through ten, the the horizontal ones. No one who loves God with their heart, soul, mind, and might, all of it, no one who does that is going to dishonor their parents. No one who does that is going to kill. No one who does that is going to commit adultery. No one who does that is going to lie deceive others. No one who does that's going to covet. Jesus tells this scribe, and he tells you and us, if you take care of the vertical, you're going to take care of the horizontal. In fact, you'll take care of all 613 of those commandments that y'all have identified. That's what Jesus is telling him. That's a powerful and life-transforming answer. Verses 32 and 33, it tells us this scribe, he was in complete agreement with what Jesus said. Uh, He even told Jesus that living according to, to what Jesus had just answered, it was more important than 
all of the burnt offerings that were ever given, more important than, than any sacrifice that had ever happened in all of Israel's history. And he got that right. What, what, what Jesus described here was living in resurrected relationship with God. It's way more, way more important than performing any kind of religious ritual. Let's look at verse 34 because Jesus gives a statement that's both encouraging but at the same time convicting to this scribe and maybe for us too. In verse 34, when Jesus saw that he had answered discreetly or with discernment, with knowledge, that he was wise, Jesus said unto him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus says, buddy, you are, you're so close. You're on the right track. That has to be encouraging, but also convicting, right? Because close, close doesn't count. Close isn't good enough. And here is why Jesus said what he said and what we need to understand. Without a personal faith in, in who Jesus is, the Messiah that God promised and sent to save us from our sins, without a personal faith in what Jesus did, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and that he, that he rose again to eternal life, so that all, all who trust in, in him alone can also receive eternal life, we, we, can't, we can't obey this first commandment. We can't obey the second one without that personal faith, without that personal relationship. We cannot love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and might. We cannot obey the Ten Commandments or the 613. We cannot come close to even obeying this most important one. Regarding the weightier ones or the lesser ones, the lighter ones, it doesn't matter. We're all just like the person in James 2.10. Even if we offend in one, we're guilty of all. And we are. And then what Romans 3, 10 to 23 says, there's none righteous. No one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how are we ever to obey the 613, the 10, this most important one? I'm going to ask Tommy, uh, if you got that slide ready, if, if you, that's uh, 33, Romans 9:33. We read this earlier. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Who's that talking about? Jesus Christ. Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. We read this earlier in verses 30 to 32 of Romans 9, and Paul's saying, Jewish people had a struggle with this when Christianity, uh, when the gospel first came out, when the church is exploding there in Acts, they're like, wait a minute, we have been doing all we could, God, for centuries to live for you, to obey the law, to do everything you've asked us to, and we haven't done it perfectly, no, but that's, we tried our best, and isn't that good enough? And, and God says, no, through Paul in Romans 9, uh, 30 to 33. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, they didn't, they didn't even have the law, and they sure didn't obey it like we did. They didn't follow after righteousness, and they have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. They've been saved by, by faith, that God's righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to them. All their sins have been washed away, and they get Jesus' record by faith. How, does that, how is that fair, God? And how did this happen, God? And it says, uh, can we go back one more there, guys? But, but Israel, who, who uh, followed after the law of righteousness 
hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, this is the important part, um, verse 32. Wherefore? Because they didn't seek it by faith. What did they seek it by? The works of the law. They're just trying to do good. Hoping that my good works outweigh my bad before God, and he'll let me in. God says, no. I mean, that's great. That's close. But close doesn't count. Others who did not pursue knowing and keeping these commandments, they would be justified. They would be saved. We have to seek it by faith. So what Jesus is telling us here and there in Mark uh, 9, or I'm sorry, uh, Romans 9, is the law. All of these commandments that God gives us, they're not unimportant. They have a purpose, and, and one of those purposes is this. It shows us our inability to keep them, that we can't especially apart from Christ. We cannot, we cannot keep them. We, we have this inability to save ourselves. It's only by faith in, in who Jesus is, God's son, the promised Messiah, and what he did for us, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He had lived the perfect life we can't live. And he rose from the grave. It's only by faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for us that we can begin to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And we can begin to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's what Jesus is about to teach this scribe here in the remaining verses. Verses 35 to 37, Jesus asks a question for him. Here's the request, um, his question to these leaders who were supposedly well-versed in the scriptures is this. Why do you say the Messiah, the Christ, is the son of David? That's what he asked at the end of verse 35 there. Why do they say that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, why, why do they say that he is the son of, of David? Well, they do because God's word says so. In the Old Testament, in multiple places. 2 Samuel 7, 8 to 16, Psalm 89, 3 to 4, Isaiah 9, 2 to 7, Jeremiah 23, 5 to 6, Ezekiel 34, 23 to 34, Hosea 3, 5, and Amos 9, 11. That's just a few of them. I don't want to take up three pages. All right? I mean, the Old Testament says that he would be the descendant of David. When it says son, I'm talking about great, 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 grandson of David. You can look in the you know, opening sections of Matthew and, and see the lineage of Christ. But then Jesus, in verse 36, quotes to them Psalm 110.1. If you have a cross-reference Bible or some little note there, it might say that. Um, verse 36, Jesus says, For David himself, in Psalm 110.1, said by the Holy Ghost, that he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, the Lord, and notice it's on all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps. Who's that talking about? That's Yahweh, that's God the Father. The Lord said to my Lord, capital L, all small letters, that's Adonai, means our, my master, my king, my ruler, Speaking of Jesus, the Lord said to my Lord, so God said, God the Father said to God the Son, Jesus, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So Jesus closes his rhetorical question for this scribe and anyone else who's listening with this in verse 37. If David therefore calls him Lord, and well then how is he also his son. And the common people heard him gladly. So Jesus has just summed up all of the commandments, <laughs> um, boiled them down 
into one most important commandment, to love God with our whole being, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now Jesus sums up all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah with this rhetorical question here in verses 35 to 37. And this question, this rhetorical question, that the answer is a revelation of who Jesus is. He's telling this scribe who's so close, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He's telling everybody else who's listening there, the crowd, common people heard him gladly. He's telling you and I this morning who he is. There's only one answer. The Messiah that God promised, he's 100% God, Lord, and he's 100% man, David's son. Yes, he is David's son. He's David's descendant. But and he's also David's Lord. He's David's deity. That's why David wrote what he wrote in Psalm 110. This he here we're talking about is our Savior, Jesus Christ. That, that scribe and maybe some here today were not far from the kingdom of God. Close. But close doesn't count. That scribe and maybe some of us listening this morning, we have gained such an understanding of God's word, the Holy Spirit allowing us to, to get it, that we understand that, that all of the commandments that God has given to us could be boiled down in, into one, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But, but what Jesus wanted, this so-close scribe to know, and he want, what he wants all of us to know, is that you can't keep that one without having a personal relationship with the one, with Jesus Christ. Uh, you will fail. That's what Romans 9, 30 to 33 said. You will fail if you try to earn your salvation, if you try to earn your right standing before God, if you try to be justified by what you do or what you don't do, you will fail. Just like this scribe, just like God told us through Paul in Romans 9, 30 to 33. If you pursue salvation by the works of the law, you won't get it. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you pursue salvation by faith, you will. You will. And not only that, you will finally, you will finally have the ability to obey this most important commandment. You'll finally have the ability, when you have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you can love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and might. And you can love your neighbor as yourself. Without that personal relationship, without faith, you can't do it. If you have it, in fact, you must. If you are saved, if you have been justified by faith, you must. Those who have been saved, they do. And I need to be as clear as God's word is here. When it said in Romans 9, 30 to 33, that they didn't get salvation because they pursued it by the works of the law, what, what God is teaching us there is this, that God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, it doesn't make his commandments negligible. Like, I can just live however I want. Do you know what it does? His grace to us in Jesus Christ makes living in obedience actually doable. We actually can obey his commandments. We actually can walk according to what he has told us to do. Francis Chan, as a pastor, don't agree with all of his theology, but he got this right. He got this right. God is calling you to a passionate love relationship with himself. And the answer to religious complacency, it is not in working harder at a list of do's or don'ts. It's not. So stop. It's in falling in love with Jesus Christ. 
This quote and what Jesus taught us here this morning is this. When you fall in love with Jesus Christ, uh, you will fulfill the first, the most important, the greatest commandment. You will quite naturally do the do's, and you won't the don'ts. It will happen when your faith in Christ gives you a love for Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can. It's the only way you can glorify God as he's asked us to. It's the only way we can receive good from God's hand, a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the question of Jesus in closing is this, at the end of verse 37, what will you do with what he has revealed about the most important commandments and about how the only way that you can fulfill them is by being passionately in love with Christ. It says there, at the end of verse 37, the common people heard him gladly. That was the response of the large Passover crowd. We're still like two or three days before Jesus goes to the cross, and what they had just heard, it made them glad in their heart. I imagine it did. Freed from the bondage of the law for centuries, they now can actually live out the law by faith in Christ. What about the scribe? Did he trust in the one? And the promised Messiah, did he fall in love with, with Jesus? We don't know. We don't know. It doesn't say. What about the crowd who heard him gladly? We don't, we don't know. Maybe. But really what matters, what matters this morning is you. What matters is you. What will you do with this revelation of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, with what he demands from us? Will you receive him as Savior if you haven't? Will you no longer like just quit trying to, to with a well-intended but, but insufficient attempt to earn his favor and to be justified by what you do or don't do and instead say, no, I'm trusting in the work of Christ for me alone, what he did for me. If you haven't, I invite you to do so. We're going to have a time of invitation and response in just a moment, but don't wait for that. And if you have questions at the back of our bulletin on our website, please ask me. There'd be nothing that make me happier today than to, to show you how you can trust Christ as Savior. But when you have, and for you, those of you who have, will you, will you, Christian, you're in love with Jesus. You know faith. Will you passionately commit to stay in love with Jesus Christ, to, to love him with your whole heart? Not, I love this, but I also love this and this and this. And Jesus, I'll give you what I got left. But no, you got my whole heart, my whole soul, my whole mind, my whole strength. If you will, you'll do the do's. You will. (laughs) You won't the don'ts. That's how it works. That's how you do the works that he commands. You take care of commandment one. And living by the Ten Commandments, that will result quite naturally. As Tommy comes, my question for you this morning is, will you pursue what Jesus has asked by faith?